I'm turning today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5 and verse 25. Mark, chapter 5, verse 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. And our subject this morning is healing the hemorrhage and its message. And we'll look first at its message to those whose souls need saving, who are unconverted, who have never yet found Christ and come to him. And then, given time, we shall look at the very distinctive message of the very same miracle to those who are saved. For it has a special message for them also. So hopefully, in these two parts, going back to verse 21 just for a moment, when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side from the region of Decapolis, back over to Capernaum, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, Luke tells us she was twelve, lieth at the point of death, I pray thee come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. Well, we postpone dealing with the daughter of Jairus and to another time. But in verse 24, Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And then there was an interruption. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood, 12 years. And first of all, let's consider this woman and her battle for life. It's all there. I cannot add to it. She had this hemorrhage. Some say it was continuous from the tone of the Greek. Others intermittent, but never letting up. And had suffered many things of many physicians. And the experts in these things... The doctors who are very interested in the history of medicine have pointed out that there were some very sophisticated and wonderful treatments recorded in ancient times. But nevertheless, the preponderance of treatments were ineffective and sometimes pretty savage and difficult to endure. And some of these, it would appear, this woman had suffered. She had suffered many things of many physicians. And whatever fortune she had, it had gone. And she's now left impoverished. What a battle for health and life she had fought. She was so determined, naturally, to be healed. So she'd gone from one to another always pinning her hope 
and trust on some other physician's treatment. But she grew steadily worse. She was a dying woman. If you'd seen her, I dare say she would have been as white as a sheet. An exhausted woman, tired out by all this, weak, aged before her time, one would think. Still battling, still looking for healing or cure. Now, all these miracles of Christ, these healing miracles, in different ways, picture the healing of the soul. They literally took place. They proved his divinity and his power. They demonstrated his mighty compassion. They left the people realizing that he was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah so long promised to that nation. People would have been without excuse seeing the astonishing things that were accomplished by the compassionate miracles. To so many thousands of people, often he would go to a city, to a town, and the record says he healed everyone who was sick. Great numbers. But we're looking at this woman, and there's a lesson, an illustration for us here about the healing of the soul, the need to be reconciled with God, the need to be converted to him and have life and to be placed on the road to heaven. She was searching for her healing. The trouble is with us when it comes to spiritual matters and the healing of the soul and the seeking of new life and conversion, we don't even accept that we're lost, that we're sick, that we're in need of help. We don't consider it. We're so brainwashed, so programmed by this world. We think this world is everything. And we love it. And we're going to make our fortune in it and believe in its every word. We have been completely conquered by the propaganda of this world. And we don't take the slightest interest in our creator or eternity or the soul. That's our problem. And in our conceit, we're even proud of our ignorance and our lack of desire for healing of the soul. And we think that somehow this makes us really intelligent and deep-thinking people. We're not like those religious people. What a pathetic state to be in. We are the people, no, we are the people completely befuddled, fooled, brainwashed by this present world, living limited lives for the here and now, for material things, knowing nothing of eternal purpose and the living God, having no relationship with him, without God and without hope. That's the reality. So the first lesson of this is this poor woman. She was at least a fighter. She was a seeker. She was a searcher. 
And that's what you need to be. May the Spirit of God stir us in such a way we become anxious about the soul and we begin to seek. Verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, that could be slightly differently translated, as some do. Having heard of Jesus, why she lived in Capernaum. She hadn't just heard of him. This was where he'd already performed so many miracles and he'd taught parables and repentance and remission of sin. And the crowds had come from everywhere. Why the city was not any larger than 2,000 people. And when the crowds were so great that he had to climb into a boat and be push out from the shoreline in order to reach the whole multitude, you'd think that very often the whole city was there. It's impossible that this lady had not heard him preach, not heard about repentance and remission of sin, and she'd seen the healings. And others had no doubt spoken to her. Of course, you couldn't come close to this lady because with the uh, uh, Jewish method of worship, she was unclean. She was hemorrhaging. That made her unclean. She couldn't worship in the local synagogue in Capernaum. She couldn't visit Jerusalem to enter the temple. People couldn't touch her. And she couldn't touch people. It was a great cause of sorrow for her. She was an outcast in many ways. Had to keep her distance. People had no doubt said to her, Christ or Jesus of Nazareth, you should go to him. And she did. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind. She had a problem, you know. How could she get close up and address him? She wasn't allowed to. She was ceremonially unclean. If he is the Son of God, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Holy One, I cannot confront him. I couldn't anyway because of the crowd around him. But I can't do that. People will... Shout to me to go away. I, how can I get through the crush? She had this enormous problem. And I dare say, also, she was a sensitive soul. He's going to heal a dying girl. I cannot interrupt. I cannot get in the way. What shall I do? I'm desperate to be helped by him, to be healed. And this was her plan. She came in the press behind and approaching from behind touched his garment. The outer garment of Christ according to the custom for the men would have been cut square and the four corners of the garment would have had a tassel. That was the required dress. Just a tassel. If that's what she had in mind, I've no doubt. If I can just 
touch that trailing tassel, I shall be healed. And so we think of these words, and here's a, another heading for you. May we approach him. Verse 28, she said, if I may touch, if it's possible for me to touch, if I am permitted to touch, I can't touch him. I can't touch even the main bulk of his garment. But if I may just touch a tassel, I think that brings it home to us. Surely that won't be breaking the ceremonial law because I've only got to touch him. He's Messiah. He's God. His power will heal me. He'll know somehow. Surely. If I may touch. There's two issues here in the miracle, picturing salvation. This should be our question. May I approach him? Can I approach him? Is it permissible? Will it result in what these preachers are talking about? Conversion. What is in the Bible? Becoming a new creature. Finding Christ. Knowing him. Can I approach him? When I think about it, Yes, I've sinned away my years. I've ignored him. I've even slandered him. I'm against him. I haven't wanted him. Can I approach him if I may touch his garments? Well, you may. You can. The only hold-up is on your side. You may touch his garments. You may put your faith in him. He's promised that anyone who approaches him will be blessed. He's even urged us to approach him. He's gone further. He's warned us what will happen to us eternally if we fail to approach him. The holdup is on our side, it's our pride. I can't grovel before God and tell him I'm a wretched sinner and my life is useless and I do not deserve heaven or acceptance. I can't do that. You see, it's our pride will prevent us from touching him, going to him. It's our unbelief. As I mentioned earlier, we've been so brainwashed By this world, we're secularists, materialists. We've got to break out of that and pray to God for help. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I'm saturated with doubts and unbelief. Help me, Lord. I've got to appreciate who he is. I won't be blessed by the one I approach if I don't realize he's God. He's the Son of God who came to suffer and die to purchase salvation for us. I must sweep aside all that pride. I must confess my sin. 
I must trust him and believe in him. Look how she trusted him. If I may but touch. Well, here's the second thing about that touch. It expresses faith. What's the touch? There's no power in a touch. There's no capacity in a touch to draw healing virtue from Christ the Lord. The touch can't do anything. What a picture of faith. A touch is. Salvation is by faith. Faith doesn't deserve heaven. Faith isn't any kind of an accomplishment. Faith isn't a good work. Faith hasn't got any power. It's just a touch. But it's the way we obtain the blessing of God. We trust him. We say, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the eternal son of God with power to save. You suffered and died to take the punishment of sinners on their behalf, all who would trust you. I trust you and I hand over my life. That's faith, just a touch. If you come thinking, I'm quite a good person, I've done this, I've done that, you ruin it all. That's not a touch. That's God, give me, give me. I deserve, I deserve. The touch illustrates faith so beautifully. It trusts in the grace of God. Grace means he blesses us when we deserve nothing. Unearned, undeserved, new life, conversion, union with himself, heaven for all eternity. The blessings of God come undeserved and unearned. If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Can I tell you something technical? Our translators say, I shall be whole. Modern translations go even further. They say, I shall be healed. That is not what the woman said. In the Greek, what she says is, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be saved. That's the Greek verb, saved. The translators have decided that it means saved from this sickness. So they translate it whole. But they use the word whole just in case the modern versions go too far. Healed, no. Saved. This woman wanted her sins forgiven as well as her healing. She saw the most important thing. His Messiah. He preaches about repenting and having remission of sin. Remission means sin taken away. I need that. And I need healing. I can't come to him just for healing when his main purpose is to give me forgiveness 
I must come first of all for forgiveness. I need to be saved. I need to be saved from my sin. I need to be saved from the condemnation that I'm under. Just to prove this to you, I'm sure this woman had heard the Saviour only just before this giving the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower speaks first of all about the seed sown by the wayside and the Lord explains it. He says the seed sown by the wayside is that which is sown on the hard pathway and then the devil comes and takes away the seed from the heart lest the hearer should believe and be saved. She'd heard him say that and be saved. And now she uses the very same word if I may touch but his clothes I shall be saved. Of course the translators should have translated it as it stood. Saved. I see the Weymouth translation has saved. I say that to see that today's English version, though it's not one I would recommend generally, has it right here, goes against the tide and says, saved. And that's what it should be. That's the Greek. Our translators have been just a shade too helpful on this one and given us a bit of interpretation. If I may but touch his clothes, the touch of faith, I shall be saved from my sin and my illness. And you know, it's very interesting, but if you go down a little further, then uh, to verse 34, Christ's words to her, he said unto her daughter, Thy faith hath made thee saved. Same word. And then go in peace and behold, only there does the Saviour say healed. So the whole would be right there. Daughter, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace and be healed of thy plague. The Greek has both saved and healed in that verse. So that's what it should have been left at earlier on. She came first of all to be saved as well as healed. It's the saving that we need, dear friends. What exactly do we want when we come to Christ? A better life? To pass our exams? To get better from a sickness? What do we want? We'll get nothing if the first thing we want is not to be saved. That's the first thing. You need to be saved first, forgiven your sin, given a new life. Your life is a new creation. And then you can pray for other things if it be the Lord's will for you. 
And that's what we learn from this woman. She wanted her sins forgiven first. I take it down to verse 30. Time is going on. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, the great throng, and said, who touched my clothes? Of course he knew. He knew. But he wanted the lady to make herself known. And it's very important. It would be for her benefit as well as for the record. His disciples said, Thou seest the multitude, and sayest thou, Who touched me? But Christ, verse 32, looked around to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, in what sense did she fear and tremble? Well, she feared and trembled because this was Messiah. This was God. The God-man, Jesus Christ, the Lord. She trembled in his presence because she knew he was the Holy One come to deliver us from sin. And because of what was done in her, she had been healed entirely. She felt as she didn't, hadn't felt for years. She felt so strong and so well. If she could have seen her face, she would have seen it was restored to a full bloom and color. She was astonished and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him. Now she was no longer ceremonially unclean and told him all the truth and this is what he says to verse 34 daughter daughter a great term of affection my daughter you could translate it my son my daughter this is what happens when you're converted you know it you are assured of your salvation. You don't hear a voice, but it's almost as though you did. You heard the kindness of the Savior. My son, I died for you. I took your punishment for you. I've lived to secure glory and heaven for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're under my protection under my wing, under my guidance, you're mine. You may call upon me, and I will hear and answer you, and I will strengthen you and bless you, and I will heal you and change you and change your life and give you a new nature. You're mine, my daughter, he says to her. She is the only person in the New Testament, to whom the Lord spoke in this way. To no one else did he say, my daughter. Go in peace. Daughter, thy faith hath saved you. Two things. Go in peace. Peace means We are reconciled. 
Go in peace. You were my enemy, but now you're mine. We were at odds. You walked in this world, he'll say to us. You gave all your strength and your ambitions and your dreams and your hopes to this world. You spurned me, but now there's peace between us. We're reconciled. We're one. Go in peace. Wonderful words when Christ says them to you. And be healed of thy plague. You're saved. Be healed. That's like salvation. You're saved from your sin. You're forgiven. You're saved from condemnation. And you're healed. You're given a new nature, new strength, new understanding of the things of God. God begins to reconstruct your life. He makes you whole. And he'll go on doing that until you step into heaven at the end of life's journey. It's all there in the illustration of a literal miracle. How much we need salvation, dear friends. This is a morning service. We expound the scriptures to Christian people. Our evening service is evangelistic. But look, we're looking at the message of salvation. You may have come to this, been with us in this congregation for years. It's possible you've never been saved. You've never touched his garment. You've never gone with real trust to Christ and repented of sin and called upon him for salvation and handed over the management entirely of your life and asked for his blessing. You desperately need to do so. If you died unconverted, you die unforgiven, lost, This lady, her hemorrhage is called a plague. The Greek word translated plague comes from the whip. It denotes a scourging. Think of the Roman scourging. The person being lashed and lashed until the blood ran. Her illness was like a scourging to her. It was so painful and exhausting. Your being unconverted is like a scourging. You're punishing yourself. You're living for yourself and for this life. You know many, many disappointments. You have your times of happiness, but many things go wrong, and sometimes you feel empty, and there's a void within It's a scourging. And you're not deeply happy. Be saved from your sin. And be healed in your soul. And your scourging comes to an end. Oh, you know a spiritual warfare, but this is different. How much we need the Lord. 
Finally, dear friends, what this means to Christian people is a special message for us. Verse 25, but I shall have to be quick. A certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. Please note, that's all she had. If we were being foolish, we would say, What's she worried about? Her heart's all right. Her lungs are all right. Her kidneys are all right. Her legs and her arms are all right. She's only got one thing the matter with her. But that would be foolish because that one thing affects her totally. She's a poor, suffering, exhausted woman. She can't function properly as a Christian you've found the Lord but there may be something the matter with you it may only be one thing but it affects everything and it pulls you down and really it's made your heart cold and it separates you from God there's a message here even for us And time is hemorrhaging away. And spiritual opportunity is hemorrhaging away. And spiritual assurance and happiness is hemorrhaging away. It may be that your problem is an evil eye. Perhaps you're looking at things. Unclean images. It's ruined your spiritual life. Or perhaps you've become covetous. Oh, I would like that new sweet. I would like this. I would like my cars rattling and breaking down. I want a strong car. I want a car people will admire. Perhaps you used to have an evil eye before you were converted. If the devil has anything he loves to do, it's to ensnare a Christian back in a pre-conversion sin. Wanting, wanting, wanting. Oh no, I don't want the most expensive things, but I'd like to be established, admired, for people to say, he's done well, she's done well, and have some of the tokens and symbols of having done well. An evil eye. An evil ear, perhaps. Something's the matter, something's gone wrong. An evil mouth. One thing wrong. Your temper, your bad reactions to people or to provocations or irritations or difficulties. And you're not dealing with it. And you're learning to live with it. And everyone around you has got to learn to put up with it. And it cuts you off from God if you did but know it. And you can't be used. Only one thing, but it's hemorrhaging away 
your spiritual life and it'll bring you down. Evil legs, some of the things you want to do and the amount of time you want to give to leisure and to fun and to the box. One thing wrong, but it's pulling you right down. At last, verse 27, I must come to conclusion. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. Well, it's obvious. Go to Christ. Go to him. Touch him. Go by faith. Lord, look what I've done. Look what's happened to me. Look where I am. Lord, help me. Help me to get a hold of this. Help me to resist it. Lord, forgive me. Visit me. Renew me. Strengthen me. Don't let this happen and ensnare me. Trust him. And he will. If you mean business, he will. And you'll hear his voice. Son, daughter, Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Be whole, be healed of your plague. It's to us as Christians. And we need to do that. And don't let anything be an exception to sanctification. Confess it. Reform it. Have the Saviour deal with it. He always answers the prayer that is prayed in tears. Go to him. If I may, you may. Touch him by faith. Ask for help. So we've looked at the healing of the hemorrhage, what it means for the lost soul and what it means for the saved soul.